0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Culture Hour. My name is Shelley Smith, the founder of Premier Rapport and of course your hostess for today's podcast. I so loving having um, a variety of individuals on as guests and today is yet another amazing guest. Let me give you a little bit of background and also um, while I'm talking, for those of you who are watching this, Uh, versus, um, you have to go to the notes if you're listening to this audio, but for those of you who are watching can actually see the cover of his latest book, Dr. Keeney has made a significant contributions in the fields of decision, analysis, and value-focused thinking, which we're really going to unpack today. He applies precepts from operation research, management science, the decision science to improve and challenging decision problems. His work includes, and and I'm, I'm going to skip all the data and the analytic pieces of that not to detract you, but his, his thing is all about decisions and the science behind it. He's taken some shifts throughout his career to dive into these discussions in a simple way, which really is going to allow you to consume the information. He's got some examples today that you're going to End up listening to this podcast and going, I'm going to get at it. I'm going to shift and look at things in a very different way. His street cred is huge. Uh, Dr. Ralph Keeney is the president of the consulting firm, U.S. Marketing and Decisions Group. He's also a professor at Duke's uh, Fuqua. Did I say that right? Fuqua School That's correct. of Business and, and also a professor of industrial systems engineering at the University of Southern California, which means that he's also if you haven't figured it out a brainiac um and he's been able to really pull this information down and his last couple of books have the same sort of background but this one came out if you've not grabbed it yet it was actually hot off of the press back in april of this year so april 2020 you can find it on amazon and we'll give you the link but give yourself a nudge. I love that title. Helping smart people make smarter personal and business decisions. And of course, this conversation today is to have a full twist on into the workplace culture. And so welcome, Dr. Keeney. So excited to have you here today. What did I miss that you want to maybe add to your introduction?
1: Well, perhaps just uh, one short thing, I'm a professor emeritus at Duke in business and in USC in engineering. And emeritus means I'm still affiliated but not working full time there or anything like that.
0: Very good. And, uh, you. Give it give us and my how interest.
1: You
0: yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: My interests have always been on uh, decision making because it's so crucial to guiding your life and your business. And uh, I thought otherwise the introduction was very nice. Thank you.
0: You have taken, for when you guys go to look him up and you go to find the book on Amazon or you go to the website that you'll see in the notes, you're gonna see that he's written several books, but your last couple of books have been different. Let's talk about the shift that you have in the last couple of books. And then why don't you summate what Give Yourself a Nudge is really all about to you?
1: Okay, uh, the shift when I started Getting interested in decision making, actually I was very young, at, at graduate school when I started working in that area, I thought people could easily uh state their problem, what their objectives were, what the alternatives were, and then helping on decision making was the back end, how to put those together and choose the best alternatives. And uh I left academia after five years intentionally to work in the real world for 10 years to see how various ideas work and didn't work and how to improve them. And that's when I spent time at a consulting firm. And what happens is people often cannot articulate exactly the decision they should be addressing. And it's been shown now plenty of times by many, but myself too, consulting and and then in real experiments, people cannot identify all their objectives. Ben Franklin said that, I found out, and many famous people. It's just tough to do that in your mind. And we're not real creative in coming up with better alternatives than the ones that we have. And so it's that front end. What's the decision we really want to address where a lot of help can make a big difference? And secondly, that's where most of the listeners would find some benefit. They're not going to have a analysis of most decisions that they face. In fact, the vast majority will not have an analysis. But the new stuff is on how can you more clearly think about it and people are much more willing to do that and the benefits are pretty great on some simple things in that front end.
0: Well, one of the things that uh, you, you promise the readers in the book is that having these shifts, actually the Amazon description, uh, I like it so much. The best way to improve the quality of your life is through the decisions that you make. Of course, that makes sense. But if everyone could do it, we wouldn't need someone like you to write a book about it. So it's not as easily done as, um, as we may think. Why don't you walk us through the book? maybe give us the components, and then we'll dive into a couple of those components, and then you can give some examples that I know you've prepared for us today as well.
1: Okay. Uh, Yes, it's uh, there are basically four real components in the book that are kind of crucial. The first thing you want to do on any decision is understand the specific decision you should address. And I'll give an example later where that's uh, not the case. The second, and the thing that drives everything is what I call your values for a decision. I use values as anything that you care about. And from those, you wanna create statements of your objectives, which is just a different way to state the value, but more clearly. And the reason I do that is you wanna make it non-technical because it is non-technical. And if you care about something with the decision, you care about it, so it should be a part of it. It shouldn't be omitted because you can't figure out how to include it. And uh, maybe I should give a short example here because it make everything less technical. Uh, the key to making a smart decision is to really state all your values. And suppose as an example that an important client, potential client was visiting your city and asked to have a dinner meeting to talk about a potential project. You were pretty thrilled about it and thought about where's a good place to eat. And you thought, well, I wanted to have great food, be near to the hotel of the guests coming into town and be real trendy. The person shows up, you go to the meeting, The food's excellent and everything. The the night is a disaster. And it was way too noisy. So you couldn't have a good discussion. You certainly didn't find out much about the project and you never got the project to work on. And had you just thought of that additional objective for the restaurant, I would like to have a good location uh, for a quiet, deep discussion you never would have chosen that restaurant that identifying quiet location is a value stated as find a location for a good talk you never would have chosen that restaurant you never would have had those problems you would have made a much better decision as a result that's what i call a nudge A nudge is just a piece of information that you create yourself for your decisions that's going to give you a slight push, i.e. a nudge, in the right direction. Identifying that one purpose, the main purpose of the meeting is that you missed, would have avoided a very bad choice and certainly would have ended up with a much better choice that likely could have had much better outcomes. Certainly, you would have known the person much better even if you didn't get the contract. So nothing technical there, it's just a clear way of thinking and what uh, you need to do is search your brain and I have many ways to help people do that to identify their values for a decision and therefore make a better one.
0: I love that, it really connected with me when I was, when I read the, the preview of your book, and then of course when I got the book, <clears throat> one of the things that came to mind was many of the things that I work with clients on are creating their culture, uh, their workplace culture playbooks. Inside of that process is going back to the mission, vision, and the philosophies around it, but really it, it's going back to the core value, either words and or statements, and making them come alive in the simplest form to the very point of your example. The easier we can make things to consume of what right looks like, it helps us get at the, uh, the, the goal with intentions and to look at the nudge, as you said, in a very different way. So I love that. Well, let me, let me take you back a little bit. You said that the decision-making process is something that you have been intrigued by or have done research for years. Is there something that happened that drew you back to wanting to really decompose or, you know, sort of pull those things apart and to understand what goes into the decision-making process?
1: Well, I think it's, it's really started when I was very young. I grew up in Montana and had a lot of freedom to make my own decisions about what I would do, work when I was in grade school and things like that, as well as do well in school. And I, I literally figured out, that was my power. That's the only control I had on my life. And I knew I would like to make better decisions and I didn't think about them. Now then when I, as I mentioned, thought people would understand what's their decisions, what their objectives are, what are their alternatives, then you'd help them solve them. It was when I started doing a lot of consulting on problems, I realized people really didn't know that. And that's for big problems, billion dollar problems. Where to build a large power plant or a very large dam. I've worked on where to put the nuclear waste in the United States and things like that. And people spending $2 million a day on a project like that sometimes don't have the real objectives that should be used on the decision. Recognizing all that is what pushed me to think of this front end much more and try to help out because uh, you can do a great analysis of the wrong problem and it doesn't help you at all. Yes. Whereas if you do a little clear thinking on the front end of the decision to better address the right problem, it can have a very big impact and improve the value of any analysis that you might subsequently care to do.
0: One of the things I've noticed recently during, the multiple crisis that we're going through in 2020 is that when I talk to executives and, and owners, regardless of size, they're all commenting from a decision-making standpoint that they're making more decisions now. So before yes. they would make a decision and, and, and maybe involve others or typically involve others. And now they're almost waking up with rapid fire decision-making and one decision is leading to 15 decisions. And there's obviously you and I know there's all kinds of reasons behind that. In today's crisis, as well as prior, what are maybe one, two, or three key questions to get at the front end that you refer to that you recommend that the listeners uh, try to start to add into their own behavior as a norm?
1: Well, I think uh, a key one is to really be clear on the decisions that they want to address. But regarding the the virus, I think a phenomenal problem was made because much of the government, all of it just about has one size fits all, will shut down all businesses. We have 30 or 40 million small businesses in the United States built where people created their business. They know their business. And in fact, the government gave them no opportunity to figure out how to stay open. Many of those millions would have figured out how they could make it safe to open their building. And now we have these rules for fires. You can't open a a store if you don't have fire sprinklers and tons like that. So they have a rule, the person can figure out how to meet it, then they can open. There should have been options for that. There still should be for many of these places. You could imagine a small bookstore that has 15 people a day come in and it's a 63 year old who loves books and they make 30,000 a year running their store and it helps them with their life. They could have figured out a way to open the store where nobody ran into each other. One person at a maximum at a time and limit the time there and leave the front door open and, or things like that. I've thought of barbershops and I finally saw one You could have a barber shop and you just have a total plastic wall down the middle. The barber's on one side, the person getting their haircuts on the other side, and there's no air going between the two sides. And the barber puts his or her hands, not through the plastic, but the plastic's all wrapped around their hand, and they can cut their hair. Now, I saw something in Brazil where you could hug your grandparents through the plastic in that type of thing. But there'd be many many each business would know not all of them you're not going to get a big restaurant to open and things like that right but we should have done a much better job and we still should and have that opportunity to allow businesses to be proactive and figure out how to open
0: well i think you know to that point and i apologize for everybody the the dogs are furiously barking in the background
1: they but like that point
0: i i guess they do i guess they do but you know, one of the things through your comments and immediately comes to mind is, of course, everything that you'd brought up was on the big scale. But owners and executives often go into that same sort of—I um, don't even know how to describe it—but pull down into their their team to assume their team doesn't have the capability of making a decision. And so therefore you make the decision for them as the owner, the executive. And what you end up doing is stifling innovation, stifling agility, um, stifling the empowerment that maybe you've worked through. And you just, every step that you made towards something good inside of your workplace culture, you literally just shut it down because you thought you needed to step in and to uh, make a quick decision, which oftentimes is in haste. So even in, in smaller teams, to your very point, I'm seeing that happen on the daily. So the government, to your point, and, and your idea around that did it on the masses. I'm seeing that happen, that very point happening inside of organizations as well. So just, again, a food for thought, any different type of you know, correlation to that. Can, can we go into a couple of the chapters themselves or would you like to give us maybe a couple of the other examples that you prepared for us today that we can kind of walk, let's do that. Why don't you give us a couple more of the examples that you've prepared?
1: Well, I'd like to, to give one that relates to creating alternatives and it's one that I like great deal. And, and just creating one new alternative better than those on the table will make a better decision we've all had a sort of aha something comes to mind but often a little work can help that and this is a, a real situation that happened a few years ago a gentleman came up to me after i gave a talk at a professional meeting and said he wanted to thank me for some thoughts of mine that he had read and uh he said that He and his children, I had said, with younger children on certain family decisions, they can participate in identifying the values and some of the alternatives. And what happened, he told me that his family included a wife and three daughters, eight, 10, and 13. And unfortunately, his wife had had cancer for the last two years, breast cancer, and it was quite serious. And they were really stuck near their home near washington i mean they chose i obviously chose to deal with this in a very family way and it was really a tough time they'd had no vacations or anything and after two years things were improving this was the previous year and the the wife and husband decided that the husband and the three kids should take a trip and he said you know we'd always gone up to maine for a summer vacation for a couple weeks and that's where we thought we'd go but i read that you said have kids list what they like and you can list too and choose some alternatives so he did it and they got a long list of things that they uh really cared about like it would be exciting and it would be enjoyable something new near the water great stories to tell their mother and she would be very happy so then they laid out the alternatives and they chose maine carolinas texas gulf coast california and the northeast they went to the northeast they did many things had a wonderful time had never been in the west any of them every day they called back and spoke to their mother who vicariously had a great vacation they loved it they came home after the two weeks and they said things he told me things have still gotten better. And next summer, we're all five going to the Northeast. Now, that's the type of help on a decision, laying out the objectives and then using them partly just to list the alternatives, not really complicated there, but they did it as a team. And, uh, you know, you get a few stories like that, you think, wow, I like helping people make decisions.
0: No, I, I love that example, and and when again, one of the things that attracted me to having you on today is that the decision making process is applicable to every single walk of our lives, inside professionally and personally. And so I love, I love that example. You know, bringing that into the workplace piece. One of the things that I often do with clients, especially when I'm executive coaching, I I will often ask, what's going to derail you or what's going to stop you from achieving that goal? And it's that look ahead with intentions to your point around giving some other alternatives that helps you shift and prepare in a different way. So when things do go awry and you need to pivot, you can truly innovate on the pivot with intention. And it's not so startling to you from a decision-making standpoint or that you become frozen, you know, inside of that. Are there some, um, big aha moments that you've seen with people that you have worked with over the years, either individually with students that you've taught, um, or obviously organizations that you worked on that, that have lasted with you. Any, any big aha moments that you can share?
1: Sure. Uh, well, one's a real general one. And we all know the term decision problems, and we use that term. Why are decisions problems? They are the only purposeful way you can influence anything in your life. And the reasons they're problems, decision problems, I think is almost all of our decisions are problems. Something happens that makes things a little bit worse and we need to deal with it. We're not competing as well as we should in our business or as well as we would like to be. You just got sick. You lost your job. Your child's not doing as well in a particular subject in school or had some difficulties there. All of these are problems, and you need to address them. And the way to address them is by making a decision to try to make it better. And when you make it better, you only get back to where it was before the problem occurred. Mm. You're not really improving relative to where you began. And so, I came up with the term for a notion that some have thought of, but most don't so much, a decision opportunity. A decision opportunity is a decision you create for yourself. You don't get forced to face it because, again, an external thing of nature, i.e. you just happen to get sick, or some action of others, you lost your job. And so you create decision opportunities for yourself, and how they get the ha-ha Is I ask people, who should be making your decisions? People won't answer that until I tell them it's not a trick question. Who should be making your decisions? And of course they should. And then I say, so who should be choosing the decisions that you need to face? That one causes thought. And the answer is you should be choosing more than you do probably. Those are the decision opportunities. And what you do is you think about something you'd really like in your life. Not selfishly, it could be for yourself, could be for your family, it could be for your business. Uh, how could we make that better? And then there's a decision. Decide how to make that better. You need to lay out what do I mean by better? That's kind of your values. What do you hope to achieve, et cetera, And then create some alternatives Often you can do that and then you choose an alternative and that will improve your life because to to define that decision opportunity, your life didn't drop in quality. You didn't get sick or something bad happened to cause you to think about that. It stayed the same. You thought about it. This would be better. That would be nice. And then you pursue it. And things got better and so decision opportunities is a big aha and one of the things about it that's so crucial it can often avoid very serious decision problems in the future the example it's easy to pick up is you could define a decision opportunity i'd like to get more fit and healthier there's a lot of things you can do to do that and if you make the decisions and then follow through with decisions and pursue it. Let's suppose you're more fit and healthier. That takes work and effort and you can feel proud about it and things, but you might have also avoided the decision of where to get your triple bypass surgery in three weeks some when you're, let's say, 62 years old. And so you replace that terrible decision
0: yeah.
1: with, a decision opportunity much earlier that put you in a much better position. That's one of the things I really stress. And that's taking uh, a lot of control over your life that's you know worthwhile to have.
0: That's a great example. I when you were talking earlier, was I was literally thinking about it from the health perspective, the decisions that we make on just what we eat and whether we will or will not get up and move and the long-term impact that that has and starts to add layers. And then my mind shifted into the decisions around giving somebody feedback and giving them forward feedback in order to help them. You know, the the benefit of giving your direct report feedback and mentoring them is that it allows you to do what you wanna do um, in the end, instead of having to go back and fix or correct or assume that they're not capable of doing it. So I I love um, shifting the mindset behind the decision-making piece and who should give it and the importance of the value-based piece. So there's a lot of things we could keep going on today, but I'm gonna put a wrap on today's discussion. I want to encourage, if you've not gotten this, uh, to go on Amazon and just type in give yourself a nudge, or uh, obviously you can also go to your website and to pull that up. What are some final thoughts, Doctor, that you would like to give to our viewers and our listeners today and the best place for them to go find more about not only the book, if it's not Amazon, but about you and the other things that you've done?
1: Well, I think the, the main point I would like to stress is for the readers. You can do this. It's not real tough, but it's a skill. It's a skill like any skill. And you need to learn what to do. And there are many ideas in helping you how to do those three or four things we talked about. What's your decision? What's your objectives? And starting with values, what are some better alternatives? And what are some decision opportunities that would really be appropriate for you? But to be able to do that, you need to also practice once you know how to do it. And practice is easy. It's like, Anything playing the piano, it's like any sport, you learn how to do it, but you're not very good if you don't try it a few times. And the place to try it is on some of your personal decisions because you're in total control of those and not the biggest ones right away that are so complex. Choose on some things that aren't so critical, like you're having dinner tonight with someone, what do you hope to get out of the dinner? for yourself and what do you hope for the others? That's thinking of your values. Creating alternatives in any decision that's not too big, you can come up with it, like where to go and have a good walk on next Tuesday, especially in this coronavirus time. Well, you can create some alternatives there that are different and what are your objectives of that walk? Is it literally to walk or maybe learn something, enjoy something and certainly, not pick up the virus is worthy to have in there, et cetera. So you can practice on those in your spare time. So you don't even have to take away valuable time. And as you do that, you will pick up some of the ideas of creating what you need to make better decisions and do it. And then you can easily sit down and think, what could I do to make my life better? That anything on that list, is going to be the basis for a decision opportunity and it doesn't have to be the whole thing if if you said you know I want to be the head of a company a big company that's a fine aspiration likely it's worthwhile thinking well what are some components that would put me in position to where that's more likely to happen because that's those are smaller decisions yet quite important and you can lay those out so i think that's that's the real message you can do this; it's not rocket science, and uh, it's kind of enhancing your common sense because we're hardwired based on the habits we picked up from when we were very young making decisions. Yes. And many, many psychologists and behavioral scientists have indicated the shortcomings we all fall into, and we includes me. <laughs> and these nudges I'm talking about nudge yourself help you avoid those and make better choices.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for being a guest on today's episode of The Culture Hour. To, to learn more about uh, Dr. Ralph Keeney, you can go to his website, just put in uh, ralphkeeney.com. You can also go straight to Amazon. And for those of you who are listening to this, you can go back into the description of the YouTube video or the webcast itself, because I'll have that information posted there as well, so you can quickly grab it. So thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, if you've got questions and comments and concerns, by all means, hit me up. And uh, Dr. Keeney, thank you so much again for being on today. Congratulations again on your latest book.
1: Thank you, and it was a real pleasure. I enjoyed it.
0: Very good. You guys, be safe out there, and remember, culture matters, and it starts with you and those that you interact with every day. Culture isn't built in a day. Culture is built every single day, and it is the solution to many of your opportunities. Be well. Thank you for joining me and another guest for the Culture Hour. If you want to go back to past episodes, make sure you follow the podcast on any of your favorite apps and devices. If you're looking for a daily dose, a little short snippet, then all you need to do is hop over to the other podcast called Your Morning Commute. Thank you again for tuning in. If you're looking for questions, other speakers, more topics, by all means, reach out. Shelley at Remember, culture isn't built in a day. Culture is built every day. Are you spending your money and your time and energy on repairs? Are you spending your time and your energy defining and maintaining? Be safe out there.